As we continue with our Dining with Jesus series, uh, we're looking, uh, going to continue to look at really m- what we started last week and the meal that Martha and uh, Mary, the uh, two sisters, um, were working to, well, at least Martha was working to prepare for, for Jesus. And I really focused last week on Martha and what, um, what was going on in her heart. And today we're going to look a little bit uh, really focus on Mary and what was going on in her heart. And like I said, last week was kind of tough. Sometimes when you eat things, they may not taste very good, but they're good for you. You know what I'm saying? And so we all have our favorite foods. We have our comfort foods, meatloaf, mashed potatoes, and green beans. Go ahead and sign me up for that any day of the week. Uh, we really look forward to eating those and other stuff we try to avoid, you know, the Brussels sprouts and the other sorts of things like that, even though we know it's good for us. And some of you like Brussels sprouts, but those of you who don't know what I'm talking about. You know, some of you, maybe there's some certain fruits you don't like, maybe some certain vegetables that you steer clear of, you know the ones. But last week's message was kind of like that. It was good for us, something we just as soon avoided, but we can still say together, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Amen. Amen. Uh, Let's bow our heads in prayer this morning. Father, we thank you for your presence here in this place. We thank you, Lord, for the worship that we've been able to um, lift up to you, and you've inhabited our praise. You're here in this place, and so we need you, Lord Jesus, to continue to challenge us with your word, to to equip us, to encourage us, to admonish us, correct us, guide us in your word. So, Holy Spirit, reveal... um, the truth of your word to us this morning, what do we need to do to, as, as this word confronts us, what do we need to do to respond to it? Help us on the front side of this to say yes and amen to those things that you speak to us today so that we can leave here chewing on some things and letting go of some things and being strengthened by some things and helping us, Lord God, through all of it. We want to be more like you, Jesus. We really do. And all that we say, all that we do, all that we think, we want to honor you. We want to be a good representative of you. Help us, Father, to always be that in our lives, throughout our days. And we thank you, Lord, for uh, ministering to our hearts this morning through your word. We praise you and ask this, Lord, in your name. And everybody said amen. Amen. I hope you're going to take some notes here this morning. I'll give you a few moments to uh, get out your pen and, and pad, and please do that. Uh, I encourage you to do so. And also, if you will, just open up your Bibles. We're going to start in Matthew chapter 26 here in just a moment. And as you're doing that, as we looked at Martha last week, we saw about Martha, she actually had some very positive attributes about her. She was a great woman of God. She was locked in with Jesus. She loved Jesus so much, and she was... She believed that he was the Messiah. He was God's son. She was a hardworking and dependable lady. You could always count on Martha to be the one to be in the kitchen cooking so that after church, as we eat spaghetti, that we have something to eat. That's the Marthas that I'm talking about. Um, But on the flip side of Martha, she also struggled with some spiritual pride as we looked at last week. And it kind of manifested itself in her relationship with her sister Mary. Now, she asked Jesus, if you remember in that passage last week, she asked Jesus if she'd have Mary to get up and help her with all of the hard work that she had to do. 
But instead of Jesus supporting Martha by saying, yeah, Mary, get up. What are you doing? Go help your sister. He didn't say that at all. In fact, he called her heart out and used it as an opportunity to um, really just to speak into her life and to expose some things to Martha. And it, and it also, as we read those stories, those are not just stories about how interesting Jesus confronted Martha and Mary and all the rest of the people in, in the Bible, but they really are really to be looking to us as a mirror to see if there's a reflection there with us that we can say, is this me? Do I need to glean from this about my life some things? And that's why we have God's Word. It's to help us. It's not just to say interesting about them, but it's also interesting about me and what do I need to do to make those adjustments? And Holy Spirit, what do you need to do to work out of me, me, and work into me, you? And that's why we have God's Word is to help us in that way. So we asked ourselves last week, what are our motives for doing what we do? Do we do it for the praise of man or do we do it for the glory of God? So um, I hope you all still love me today for forcing those vegetables and fruits and things last week down your throats. But more so, I hope that the Holy Spirit has helped you to identify your own motives and heart posture as it relates to your service to Jesus. You know, Jesus said to, Mary, uh, to, to Martha, uh, uh, when, Mary made that, when Martha made that request, she, he said, Mary is doing the better thing by sitting at, at his feet uh, but, but what was up with this? Uh, why, so we asked the question, okay, was Mary lazy? Was, was Mary the favorite child? Was, did she grow up getting by with things while Martha always picked up Mary's load, did all the work? Was Mary the super spiritual one of the family? Was she the one that was the studious one that just sat there and was just taking notes? Jesus, tell me more. You know, we have to wonder about those things. What was the significance of the Bible describing Martha working and serving and Mary sitting at Jesus' feet? You know, I think many of us would consider Mary to be the more uh, con contemplative one of the two sisters. She, she was maybe the more sensitive one of the two sisters. Maybe she was the one who wanted to learn of Jesus. Maybe she was the one who wanted to spend time with him, soaking up all that he had to say. I think many of us probably would consider Mary as, as that type of of, of woman, that type of person. Since Mary and Martha are always mentioned in the same breath, we, we always used to, at least growing up, I, I always heard Mary and Martha in the same breath, and we still hear that. We assume based on that that they both were locked in with Jesus. We see that Martha was, but let's look and see about Mary. Was she? The way that we size up Mary sounds really spiritual for sure. Sitting at Jesus' feet sounds like a wonderful posture for all of us to be on a daily basis. But there's really a backside to Mary's story that explains more fully why Mary was doing what she was doing. That is probably the opposite of what many have taken away from the story of Mary sitting at Jesus' feet over the years. She wasn't just sitting there listening to Jesus teaching another wonderful lesson as a super spiritual woman. There's a whole lot more going on than that. And that's where I'd like for us to pick up the story of Mary today. There's certainly some significant events that were recorded in the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But there are only a handful, by some count 11, that are in all four of the gospels. And this account was one of the 11. And so with that, I want to read all four accounts this morning, and I want you to follow along. It's on the screen. I hope you have your Bibles with you and you're 
thumbing through the pages as well to know where it is in that precious book that you're holding. There's some key things that are emphasized in each version. I love the different vantage points that you can get from the different um, versions, the different accounts of these stories. You know, as you look at it, and we can all be, for example, witnessing a particular event, and I can interview, you know, all the 10 of you that are watching it and get different accounts of it. There are some similarities, but there are also some different facets that are different based on how we see things and how we're wired. So that's how the Holy Spirit did through Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. There's some variations too, and it really fleshes out uh, these observations that were unfolding events before these people. Uh, Not to say that all four of them were actually observing this. Some of them were word of mouth, they heard it. But let's read about it in Matthew chapter 26. We'll start in, we'll just go in the the order, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, to make it easier for you to thumb through your Bibles. Matthew 26 is where we're going to start, and this starts in verse 6. It says, while Jesus was in Bethany in the home of Simon the leper, so we see there's Simon the leper, and here's Jesus, there was a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume. This woman is unnamed at this point which she poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. So it was poured on his head. When the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why this waste, they asked, this perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, but you'll not always have me. So when she poured this perfume on my body, so it went from my head to my body, she did it to to prepare me for burial. Truly I tell you that wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. And so we're remembering that today in 2023. So that is prophecy fulfilled again. Now let's look at Mark's version in Mark chapter 14. If you'll flip through your Bibles to Mark chapter 14, we're going to start in verse 3. Now while he was in Bethany, this is Jesus, reclining at the table of the home of Simon the leper, there's Simon the leper again, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume. Again, this woman is unnamed so far. Made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Again, it was poured on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Jesus said, leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them at any time you want, but you'll not always have me. She did what she could. She poured the perfume on my body beforehand to prepare me for my burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. So we see that Matthew's and Mark's versions were almost identical. A couple little tweaks, little variations there. Now let's look at Luke's account. We're going to start in Luke chapter 7 now. Luke chapter 7, verse 36 is where we're going to begin. Now it says, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, so now we see that Simon the leper was also a Pharisee, okay? So this fleshes out this character of Simon. Simon, who was a leper or is a leper, we'll find that out. He was also a Pharisee. And he invited Jesus to have dinner with him. He went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Now, we learned last week when you recline at the table, that means that you're getting ready to eat. Remember how they came in? They're kind of like parallel parking into, a, into the table back then. They didn't sit at a table with their legs underneath the table like we do today. But back then, they actually reclined on their left arm, and the table was kind of head level, and they would eat that way. So he reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life, 
Okay, so we learn now that this woman lived a sinful life. She learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. So we're seeing a little bit more of a fleshing out of this story. She just didn't come and just pour the, the, the perfume on his head, but now she's also sitting at his feet and she's crying so heavily that his feet began to get moist with her tears. Why was she crying? We'll find out. Then she wiped them with her hair. Then she kissed them and poured perfume on them. So now she's poured perfume not only in his head, but also in his feet. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. So, so Simon the Pharisee, the Simon the leper, knew who this woman was. She wasn't a stranger to Simon. That's an important aspect of this. Jesus answered him, obviously reading his mind, Simon, I have something, but probably seeing, seeing his actions, you know, just kind of seeing the expressions on his face, the body, the body uh, uh, was speaking a whole lot more than his mouth was. Simon, I have something to tell you. He says, tell me, teacher. Jesus said, two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii. A denarii is a day's wages, so that's 500 days wages. And the other, 50 or 50 days wages. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. And Jesus said, you've judged correctly. And then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house and you didn't give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she's poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. Her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to this unnamed woman, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Notice that this this doesn't really describe necessarily the response of the disciples and how she wasted her perfume. Luke actually pivots into a, a different sort of observation here. So Luke's version really fleshes out some things that Matthew and Mark didn't include. And so finally, now let's look at John chapter 12. And we're going to start in verse 1. And we're looking at John's account. This is actually, we read this last week. It says, six days before the Passover. So now we see that this is just before the Passover. And the Passover meaning the one right before Jesus was tried, falsely accused and tried and crucified. So this was just before that Passover, the Easter Passover. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany. And Bethany was just like a suburb of, of Jerusalem. It's just like saying Fort Mill to Rock Hill. It's just right there within walking distance. So he came to Bethany where Lazarus lived. So Lazarus, whom Jesus had raised from the dead, just, just days before that, Lazarus, who had been in the tomb for four days, and he, by that time he stinketh, as we read that in chapter 11 of John, And Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. And so here's Lazarus eating here with Simon the leper and Jesus. 
He's, lying, he's, rec- he's reclining among those at the table with him. Is Jesus reclining? Is Lazarus reclining? A bunch of the folks that were invited there to that meal. And then Mary. Okay, so here's now we've introduced now this, this, the name of this person who was in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. We see now her name is Mary. Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet. So the first version was her head. And now we see now this is his feet. So his feet and head. And wiped his feet with her hair. Of course, now you've got to remember she was also crying. So there were tears involved with her too that she was wiping up. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. So John noticed, man, this, thing, this place smells really good. I'm going to write that down. The other three guys didn't talk about that. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume, but one of the disciples. So now we see it's not just the disciples, but it's actually one in particular. Probably all the disciples kind of were in shock, but Judas was the one who later betrayed him, objected and said, why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It's worth a year's wages. You think about Judas thinking, wow, he really cared for the poor. But then we see that the Bible says he did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. Thank you very much. I'll take some of that. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You'll always have the poor among you, but you'll not always have me. So you see these four different accounts of the same event that took place. And I want us to unpack these four to see what the Lord would have us to understand today and apply to our lives. While Matthew, Mark, and John place this story in chronological order in the life of Jesus just days before the crucifixion, Luke places it earlier in his ministry, most likely to fit into the narrative of Luke's story writing. Luke had a, had a particular reason to place that story towards the middle of the beginning part of Jesus' ministry. Bible scholars debate on whether this unnamed woman in Luke's account is Mary or another woman. I feel like if you look at the similarities between these four accounts, these four stories, the similarities are too many for it to be anyone other than Mary. So with that said, let's go with that today and let's find out who Mary, Martha's sister, really is. So who is Mary? We know that she's the sister of Martha and the sister of Lazarus. We know that Jesus knew the family, knew the family quite well, in fact, so well that he loved them so much that he wept for Lazarus when he found out that Lazarus had died. And when he came to, to visit and to do what he was going to do right before he raised Lazarus from the dead, he wept. I mean, his heart was broken because he loved that family. We know that Mary was the one who, instead of helping her sister, sat at Jesus' feet. But we want to know, again, why was she so tearful why was she so emotional that day? What was going on in Mary's heart that brought her to that place that she would take this expensive perfume and pour it on Jesus, on his head and on his feet? What was going on that she would take this year's wages, this valuable commodity, and do what she did that day? In fact, how could she, how could, how could she even afford that perfume? What was going on in Mary's heart that day that made her do what she did? Enduring the scorn, by the way, of those who witnessed this to some unusual, to some others elaborate, to others an emotional, and still to others a wasteful act. 
through all of that, she did what she did. And as we put these four stories together, these four vantage points, it goes something like this. And by the way, while we're at it, let's go ahead and bring Simon the leper into this story as another key player to this message today because he's going to be, I'm going to be contrasting him to Mary here in just a few moments. So let's, let's talk about Simon the leper. We, Simon the leper, as I said, he was a Pharisee. And he was invited, uh, he invited Jesus to eat with him. Why did Simon the Pharisee, the leper Pharisee, Simon the leper who was a Pharisee, why did he invite Jesus to eat with him? Well, we shouldn't interpret Simon's invitation as Jesus, uh, to Jesus as Simon being a believer. I don't think that Simon was a believer. Simon was a Pharisee. He was, he was still judging. I mean, we saw in that account with Luke, if he knew who he was. I mean, he was still trying to size him up. He was just, just trying to put Jesus into this little sort of box and judge him in certain ways. Jesus most likely, I feel like that Jesus most likely had healed Simon of his skin disease. Somewhere in the, in, the, in the journey of Jesus' ministry, he spoke over Simon who had leprosy of some sort and he had this skin disease that, that, that was just cured and Simon maybe felt this obligation to pay him back by having him over for a meal. It was kind of like checking off a box. Simon probably knew the family of Martha and Lazarus and Mary for many years. Bethany was a small town and they probably even grew up together. Again, let's figure out a backstory to this thing. Let's try to connect some dots. So when Simon invited Jesus to dine with him, he also invited Lazarus to the meal, along with others, and asked Martha to help cater the event. Because that's what women did back then, is they served more. They really weren't part of the men's group. Again, in that culture. He most likely did not invite Mary, though. Because Simon knew her of her lifestyle. And Simon didn't care to associate with people like that. The Pharisees never would associate with sinners. More on that later. The normal custom in those days was that the host would make sure that the guests' feet were washed as they entered in. We have grass and pavement and concrete and all of that. We wear shoes that are covered and, and socks and all that. When we walk into homes, we very rarely will take off our shoes because we're not traipsing through mud and dust to get into our home or anybody else's. But back then, there was no pavement. It was dusty streets. And even the, the houses were swept, you know, dirt, basically. And they wore sandals all the time. And so it was customary as people were being invited into their home, that there would be this wash basin, and as a way of honoring the guest, that they would simply just wash their feet. As a way of saying, welcome to our home. Let me just wash your feet. It was also, uh, also customary for, for people to greet others with a kiss. You see that actually taking place in cultures today where they'll come up and they'll kiss you on either cheek. You know, you see that sort of thing. It's not a kiss on the lips, it's a kiss of, on the cheeks of greeting. Very customary. We see that today. They were also treated with some sort of oiled, fragrant perfume that masked whatever odors that their bodies had um, grabbed hold of throughout the day um, to help them smell a little more pleasant during their visit after a long day outside in the new day sun. There was, they, there was no such thing as deodorant back then. They, just didn't, they didn't wear it. So they smelled all natural. And so they put perfume on them to kind of mask that. So when Jesus entered Simon's house, think about this, Simon did none of these things. He didn't wash Jesus' feet. He didn't give him a kiss of greeting. He didn't give him any sort of perfume to, to mask whatever odor that Jesus had. 
And this really makes a huge statement to Simon's posture of a lack of respect and value towards Jesus. You're not important enough to me to do those things. But I am going to have you over so that I can pay my debt. And also that I can build my reputation to those around me to show everybody what a godly and good man that I am. He did this out of sheer obligation and he did it for show. But then Mary comes in and he crashes the party and turns Simon's pious plans upside down. She began to kiss Jesus' feet nonstop all the while she was crying. Why was she crying? What was going on in her heart? You know, this speaks of nothing else but brokenness and gratitude in Mary's life. I can just picture her saying under her breath as she was kissing Jesus' feet, thank you, thank you, I love you, thank you, thank you. Why? What was going on in her heart? She said, she, she shed so many tears that she began to wipe the tears that was falling on Jesus' feet as she was holding and kissing those feet and the tears were flowing. She took her hair and began to wipe the tears. It's a lot of tears. It's a lot of sorrow, a lot of gratitude, a lot of brokenness. There's a lot of stuff going on there. Then she brought this, she, that she, she revealed this pint-sized alabaster jar. I mean, a pint, that's a lot. Beautiful alabaster jar. And it was filled with expensive perfume. This tells us that what she did was thought out and planned. She didn't just say, well, I happen to have this alabaster jar. That alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume was placed in a, probably a very safe and significant place in her home. Wherever it is that she lived, it was there and set aside and probably guarded quite well. And for, for whatever's going on in her heart, she decided to take it that day. And to take the journey from her house to Simon's house. She decided intentionally to take that veil and say, today, today is the day. Today is, is the day. It was rare. It was, it was costly. And it was a year's wages in value. Everyone knew who she was. Everyone knew how valuable this perfume was, and they also probably knew how she got it. The fact is, this alabaster jar of expensive perfume was most likely a payment from one of her clients for services rendered. And her occupation is most likely a prostitute. Now, I know this may sound shocking to some of you today. You might think, Mary, the one sitting at Jesus' feet, she was a prostitute? Most likely. Jesus said that her sins were many. Simon certainly knew of her reputation. I'm sure the others in that room did as well as she walked in, including Jesus. And items like expensive perfumes were used as payment back then along with other sorts of items of value. You see, clearly Mary was a good friend of Jesus with mutual love and respect expressed between them. She had seen him and heard him. She heard his great works. She observed his ministry she listened to his powerful teachings and clearly she believed that Jesus was able to heal people. We read that in John 11. But none of these things, by the way, means that she was a disciple of Christ or even a godly woman. There's a lot of people like that even in church today. They respect Jesus. They don't have a problem with Jesus. They just haven't made a decision for Jesus. 
He's good for you, but I'm fine without him. Thanks for asking, though. I'm just going to come and check off the box on a Sunday morning, come every so often, and do my Jesus thing on Sunday morning, but I'm going to kind of do the rest of how I want to the rest of the week. I don't know, but I know a lot of people that think just like this. And it's exhausting, frankly, uh, to, to see the conflict and the compromise in people's lives. My heart breaks. Martha obviously had come to a position of belief and commitment to Jesus. Jesus asked him the question, her the question in John chapter 11, do you believe? And she said, yes, I believe. You are God's son. You are the Messiah. Right before Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. She responded by affirming that Jesus was the Messiah. But just because Martha had come to that point of belief and commitment didn't mean that Mary had, at least not quite yet. Martha, when she told Mary that Jesus had arrived and was calling for her in John 11, he used the term teacher of Jesus. He says, the teacher is calling you. Remember? Now, that, that term is a descriptive of him, not so much a descriptive of her. The teacher is calling you. She didn't say the teacher is calling you whom you believe in as the Messiah. But the teacher is calling. That one that you believe is a good teacher and can heal. And maybe even you believe that he is God's son, but you haven't made that personal relationship with him yet. He's a good teacher, but he's not my savior. You see, to Mary, Jesus was a good and loving teacher. He was nothing more. She was drawn in by his unconditional love, but not to the point of giving her her heart, at least not yet. So when Mary approaches Jesus in John chapter 11, she calls him Lord. Lord, if you would have just been here, I know he would have not died. But in the Gospels, this term Lord really offers in a term of, more of, of, of term of respect. It's like me saying to you today, yes, sir, or yes, ma'am. It's, a, it's just a, a term of, of respect. So Mary used this title, Lord, it doesn't, again, doesn't necessarily indicate a personal commitment to Jesus beyond that of a friendship or even of respect. And again, there's a lot of people who attend church today. There's a lot of people who are like that in this generation. They sit in God's presence, but they're far, far, far away from him in a relationship. They respect him, but they have little to do with him outside of this gathering and they certainly haven't invited him to be their Lord. So with this backdrop, we come again to the house of Simon the leper, the Pharisee. And when Jesus, rather when Simon didn't wash Jesus' feet, when Simon didn't greet him with a kiss, when Simon didn't put any fragrant oil on his head, but Mary did, and knowing what Simon was thinking, Jesus told a story, this parable that brings us to where I'd like us to sit and consider today. I want us to read this passage again in Luke chapter 7. We're going to start in verse 41. I just read this a few moments ago. Let's look at it again. Two people, this is this story that Jesus told. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii or 500 days wages and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? And Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You've judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You didn't give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You didn't put any oil on my head, but she's poured perfume perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. 
But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. You know, this story Jesus told was powerful and had a stinging rebuke in it for Simon. But I think there's something more than just a carefully crafted story with a rebuke here. Because I feel like the Lord wants us to understand something in our own hearts today. And in those around us that we know in our family, our schools, our workplaces, our community. As I said earlier, Matthew and Mark both identified Simon as Simon the leper. Now, leprosy was not necessarily leprosy as we know it today. Some awful, awful skin disease. If you go back to the Old Testament, there's certain sort of things that that Moses was talking about in the law and certain sort of skin diseases where you had to be, be, be careful with some things. But it wasn't just always leprosy all the way to that level. Though it would have included that. But what it did refer to is maybe a number of skin diseases. So lepers of whatever sort were deemed to be unclean and they were to separate themselves for a period of time. They were ostracized. They were forced into isolation because of the threat they deemed to be because of the disease that they had, highly contagious. So they required quarantine for a period of time. The gospel tell of many instances where Jesus was meeting and healing lepers. So Simon was known as Simon the leper. How'd you like to be known as the leper in your life? Simon the leper. Yet here he was having a dinner party in honor of Jesus. So clearly he wasn't in isolation or he wasn't social distancing anymore. Why not? Well, because as I said earlier, I think Jesus had healed him of his leprosy. He was not contagious anymore. He was healed. So while he still carried this name, Simon the leper, he was in fact now no longer a leper and it could mingle freely with others at the dinner party. And remember, most likely, the dinner party was being held in honor of Jesus for this very reason that Jesus had healed him. Simon owed a debt to Jesus because of this and was simply paying him back, earning brownie points in the process from those around him. So in this story, Jesus told him there were two debtors. One owed a little and one owed a lot. And I think this represents Simon and Mary. Simon owed a little, at least in Simon's mind, he owed a little. But Mary owed a lot. Simon's sins were many, as Jesus noted. It's like Simon had had a skinned knee and Mary had broken every bone in her body. Jesus knew Mary. Jesus knew her pattern of life. Jesus probably had had conversations with Martha and Lazarus about her leading up to that. He knew how steeped in sinful actions Mary's life was. But Jesus still loved Mary. And he still loved her siblings. I, I, just, I just suppose Jesus sitting with Martha and Lazarus sometime in his ministry before Lazarus got sick. Mary wasn't there, but as they're dining together, discussing, having fellowship, maybe here comes Mary. Mary coming in through the door because they all lived in the same house. Mary and Martha and Lazarus did. I can just picture Mary coming in sheepishly, not realizing Jesus was there, stepping in with maybe even that alabaster jar or some sort of payment from activities that she had just been a part of and acting like that she didn't see him kept walking into her room. And they're still talking. And here's Mary in her room, listening to the words of Jesus. No condemnation, just unconditional love and concern for that sweet lady 
who is so steeped in sin and so bound, but no judgment there. Just love, the love of Jesus. And here's Mary listening to it. And I, I can imagine that probably happened a few times. I don't know. Mary would hang out, watch him do the miracles, listening to him teach. And there was something there about Jesus that was different from the other men that she engaged with. Simon didn't even show Jesus the common courtesy as a host, providing water to wash his feet, a kiss of greeting and welcome, and some oil for his head for a refreshment. But Mary had provided all three in lavish abundance. Why? Simon, as he was watching at this play out with Mary and Jesus, he self-righteously passed judgment on both of them. She's a sinner, and he's really not a prophet, or else he wouldn't let her do that to him. Luke tells us Mary was standing behind Jesus, weeping, weeping so much that her tears were wetting Jesus' feet, and then she bent down, wiped them with her hair, kissed his feet, poured perfume on them. Jesus pointed out that from that time that he had entered, she had not stopped kissing his feet. And it wasn't just a light passing peck, but it was a nonstop action on her part. And Simon's assessment was that Jesus couldn't possibly be a prophet because a prophet would know what sort of woman she was, indicating, indicating by the way, that Simon knew her and her manner of life as well and never allow such a woman to touch him like this. Jesus read Simon's thoughts and he tells him this powerful parable that we just read of these two debtors, one forgiven much, the other, other forgiven little. You know, Simon, in his self-righteous estimation of his life, considered his debt was little. Think about it. He probably had been a good boy all of his life. He probably had a heart for God all of his life. He's probably drawn into being a Pharisee, which is a religious leader, by the way, at a young age, trained at a young age. So he had this sort of piousness, this sort of righteousness that was about him. And he considered based on his lifestyle, based on the choices that he made, that his debt was little. He was doing fine. He was living a good life. He was living a decent and religious life. He was only healed of leprosy, no big deal. Probably would have cleared up on his own anyway after a while. So here's a hamburger, Jesus, thanks for everything. Simon was not really a man that was all that grateful. Mary, however had come to realize the extent and the depths of her sin. And then she poured out her tears. And then she gave out her kisses. And she sacrificed her expensive perfume in repentance for those sins upon the Savior of her soul. Whatever had happened before, whatever experience that she just come out of, whatever words and actions that Jesus had lived out before her brought her to a place at that moment of realizing that she needed a Savior. And it all came to a head on this pivotal day. She didn't care who saw her. She didn't care what they thought. She was tired of running. She was tired of the life that she was living. She was tired of the sin that had wrapped itself around her. She was tired of the choices that had brought her to this place in her life. And it was her time. As a result, Jesus turned to her and said, your sins are forgiven. Wow. So thankful that Jesus said that to me. 
How about you? Aren't you thankful that Jesus turned to you and said your sins, though they be many, they're forgiven, they're under the blood, you're washed as white as snow, I've removed them as far as the east is from the west, they there be no more, your sins are forgiven. Other guests questioned this, he didn't recognize, they didn't recognize who Jesus was, they were like Simon. Or maybe they raised some questions regarding who he really was. I don't know. But Jesus, however, adds to Mary, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. You know, it doesn't matter what you've done. You may think, man, I've sinned so much. If you believe that Jesus Christ is God's son, the Bible says if you believe in your heart, you confess with your mouth. That's faith. And it's your faith that saves you. It's your faith in his finished work that saves you. You've got to have faith in Christ. It's not based on your works. It's not based on you being a good person. It's faith in the finished work of Calvary, that Jesus Christ has died for your sins. Your faith has saved you today. So now go in peace. Lord, just give me enough faith. You can't have enough faith. Faith is even a gift from God. It's not your faith. It's the faith that God gives you to believe in Christ. So we can't take credit for any of this. I got enough faith to be saved. No, sir. No, ma'am. It's faith that Christ even gives you to believe in him. And then you're not saved by your works. It's what he's done for us. So again, we're just at the foot of the cross saying, thank you, Lord, for your mercy and grace that has saved me. Not by works, lest any man should boast. But by your mercy and grace, I'm saved. By your finished work, I'm saved. And it's even you giving me faith to believe that I'm saved. Yeah. You know, Mary had a long journey to faith and commitment. Through Jesus staying with them and becoming friends with him and through listening to him teach, through observing him heal people, even seeing him raise her brother from the dead. But finally, just days before his crucifixion, just before, just six days, she put it all on the line in this shocking, passionate, public show of dedication and commitment to Jesus. And showing the extent of her trust and her resolve, she broke this alabaster jar of very precious perfume, a commodity that she used as a tool of her trade to show that she had finished with that way of life once and for all. And she was now all in with Jesus. So what about you today? Are you tired of running? Are you weary of the sin that has entangled you? Are you tired of the chains that have wrapped themselves around you and have bound you so tightly that you feel like there's just no way of escape? Are you, are you finished with your current way of life? Are you ready to take that beautiful alabaster jar and break it before the Lord? Today is your day. Today is your day. You know that alabaster jar really represents our lives when you think about it. It's a song that I love back in the day called Broken and Spilled Out. All for the love of the Savior. I don't know what your alabaster jar is filled with. I don't know what your life is filled with today. That alabaster jar is you and me individually and the contents of that is really the 
It's really the, the fruit of our labor. It's the choices that we make. It's our goals and priorities. It's, it's who we are as a person, right? And too often I think we take this and say, ooh, it's mine. I need that to be successful in all in my life. So I'm going to keep it in a safe place up on a shelf somewhere. No one can touch it. I'm going to hang out with Jesus. I'm going to have dinner with him every so often. Right here. I'm going to do all the things that I feel like I need to do to kind of make me feel a little bit better about it, but I really am not ready to be broken and spilled out. Now, this is not just for people today, by the way, that are um, unbelievers, if I can call it that, that haven't made that decision for Jesus. It is for you, but it's also for all of us today. I don't know what's in your life. Are you like Simon the Pharisee who says, I don't need to be forgiven much. Spoiler alert, yes you do. There's no sin that's any greater or less. A sin is a sin. Say that with me. A sin is a sin. Well, I'm not a prostitute. I'm not a murderer. I'm not a thief. I'm not a... It doesn't matter. Do you lie? Do you cheat? Some of us... Maybe we're hooked on pornography. Some of us, maybe we got some lust in us. Some of us, maybe we're doing a little underheaded cheating. Some finances. Maybe we're a gossip. We size people up based on certain things and we judge. So many things going on in our lives that are inside of this alabaster jar that represents our lives. And you know, you may think, well, that's a lot of stinky stuff in there. Yeah, that's true. But you know, there's some sort of cool dynamic that takes place. <laughs> when, those, when that contents of our life is broken out and spilled on Jesus, he makes it a sweet fragrance. There's just something there. He takes that nasty old stinky stuff and he just converts it to a sweet smelling savor. And that's what we read earlier, that the fragrance filled the room. It's an act of worship. It's an act of sacrifice. It's an act of total repentance to say, I'm all in. So you may think, well, I don't have anything to offer him. I have nothing but just a bunch of nasty stuff. But it's the contents of our life that he wants you to take and pour out on him. Break your heart. Be broken and spilled out before the Lord today. Whether you've never done it or whether you've done it but not all the way, and there's still stuff you're holding back. This is for all of us today. Uh, this changes the dynamic of who Mary is, doesn't it? Are you a Martha or a Mary? It's what we usually ask, right? Do you work a lot for Jesus, or you just sit at his feet and study hard? How about this changes the dynamic a little bit? Because I think all of us are Mary. Not all of us are Martha, but all of us are Mary. All of us. I want you to just, if you will, stand with me this morning and uh, contemplate some things here. Just close your eyes and uh, for just a moment, picture you're holding this alabaster jar. So you may not know what an alabaster jar looks like and you may have a different thing in your picture in your mind as someone else and that's perfectly fine. I want you to just picture the most beautiful... um, container. Just 
And then as you're looking at that container, I want you to picture that that's your life. That's who you are. That's, that represents you today. Now, you may look at that and say, well, then I need to kind of mar that up a little bit, that jar, because I'm not as beautiful as that jar is there. And that's fine. Make that jar however you want it to look. And just be authentic and real and honest with Jesus. You know? It's okay. He doesn't look at you and say, ooh, you're an ugly jar. You're a marred jar. You're a scratched up old jar. You're a dirty jar. He doesn't care. He doesn't look at the outward. He knows you, just like he knew Mary. He knows you. He knows exactly who you are. So just be real with him. You're either like Mary or like Simon or somewhere in between. So we could be a whitewashed sepulcher like Jesus was talking to the Pharisees about earlier. Dead on the inside, but all looking pretty on the outside. Some of us are not so pretty on the outside, and we're kind of dead on the inside too. It's just like, what do we do with this? We present this alabaster jar that represents our livelihood, our lives, our decisions, our choices, our hurts, our frustrations, our goals, our abilities, our, our everything, our failures, everything, our worries, our bitterness, our struggles, our, our lust, uh, the addictions that we have in our lives, the foul mouth, the swear words that you say all the time that just come flying out, uh, the, uh, the alcohol that you go to, when you know you shouldn't be drinking that stuff because it messes you up. The pornography that you look at when you know you shouldn't be looking at it because it's destroying you. These demonic things that are out there in this world today that would just wrap themselves around our lives and keep us from being broken and spilled out. But just like what would happen with Mary where she came to that point and today, that day was her day. Let today be your day. Did you say, Lord, I'm tired. I'm tired of striving. I'm tired of being trapped. I'm tired of, tired of living this life. I want to be broken and spilled out. Whether I'm all religious and think I got it all together or whether I'm really messed up. Lord, I know you're going to take us all. You're going to break us and you're going to spill us out. But Lord, may we be the one that makes the choice to be broken. May we yield, Lord God. Don't just come and take a hammer and swipe at us. But Father, we, we lift our alabaster jar to you and say, okay, Lord, we're going, we're going to break it. We're going to drop it before and we're going to break the seal. We're going to open this thing up. Would you just do that this morning? I just want you to just picture yourself breaking that seal off of the top of that. You're breaking it. Now, it may not smell so good on the inside. I get it. But there's going to be a transaction that's going to take place here in just a few moments. As you're breaking this seal off, and you, you know the contents of that jar is not really something that you're proud of or pleased with. You can't imagine that Jesus would even want you to pour it on his head and on his on his feet. But he says, yeah, go ahead and pour it. Now, you're not going to do this if you're not crying before the Lord in your heart. If, you're, if your heart's not broken, if you haven't come to this place, then you're just not going to do it. You're going to walk out here going, wow, that was an interesting message. So, Lord, break our hearts today. Let tears flow. Let repentance 
rise to the surface. Let us come to your feet, kiss your feet, wipe your feet with our hair, the tears, the repentance, with gratitude and with thanks for what you've done for us. Lord, those of us who've been raised in church and those of us who have not, those of us who come on Sunday mornings and live like the devil the rest of the week and those of us who are locked and loaded with you and everybody in between, Father, help us to be so grateful to you and let it be fresh and new again like it used to be. Help us to cry at your feet, to not just sit at your feet listening to you teach, but to sit at your feet in repentance and gratitude for what you've done for us. Father, the way I measure it here today, there's two different groups of people. There's the Simons and there's the the Marys. Lord, those of us who are Simons, forgive us for our pious arrogance and judgmental attitudes. Forgive us for thinking that we've been forgiven very little because we've been forgiven a whole, whole lot. Thank you for forgiving us of our sins. We are all sinners at the foot of the cross and we need a Savior. Thank you, Jesus, for saving us. All of us, Simon the leper, Pharisees. Lord, there's also a bunch of Marys here today, I would imagine, here and watching, where they've just done whatever they've done, but they believe in you. They, they know who you are. They've seen your works. They've listened to your teachings. It's all of that. But Lord, let today be the day of salvation for them. Maybe that's you here today. Maybe you're standing here saying, man, I've made a mess. I got a bunch of stuff in me that Jesus is, there's no way he can forgive. And I'm here to say, yes, he can. And he will. But you got to pour that out. Break the seal and just pour it out. Just pour it at his feet in repentance, in sorrow, with thanksgiving and gratitude and say, Jesus, forgive me. And would you take this stinky stuff and make it sweet? Would you let it be a sweet perfume? Let it be a sweet, sweet sound to your ears and a sweet smelling fragrance to your nostrils. Just pour it out to him right now. Just in your own way, just say, Lord, here it is. Here's my addictions. Here's my emotional messed up life that I'm angry all the time or I'm bitter all the time here's my my urges I I lust too much I I don't need to want to lust anymore I'm greedy or I'm judgmental I'm pious Jesus help us just break us as we melt before you and help us to stay at your feet not just learning of you but repentant at your feet constantly because our sins are great and our sins are forgiven in you as we confess our sins to you. Would you pray this prayer out loud with me whether you're Simon the Pharisee or whether you're Mary the sister of Martha and everywhere in between we all need to pray this prayer understanding that all of us are sinners. Would you pray this prayer? Say, Jesus... I need to sit at your feet in repentance every day. And I do that now. I break the seal off of my life and I pour the contents of my life 
onto your feet, onto your head, over your body. Forgive me, Jesus, of all my sins. And you know what they are. I confess them to you. Free me and make me to be more like you. And what I say, and what I do, and what I think for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.